Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Jazz Scene, giving you an in-depth look at the music and stories of the musicians performing on our stages here in Columbus. So we are here with John Lampley, uh, trumpeter, tuba extraordinaire, Ohio State graduate, and a member of the Hunter Tones, among 40,000 other things that I want to get to <laughs> that it's going to be so hard not to skip to just the most exciting pieces and parts from recent activities. But um, you guys are here with the Hunter Tones doing uh, some dates here in Columbus, doing some dates all over on a little tour, recording a little bit while you're here, and that's one of a gazillion projects. So why don't you just uh, give us an idea of what's going on lately, and then we'll kind of go from there. Yes. So as you said, um, Hunter Tones is here back in Columbus where we started as a band at Ohio State. Um, We're doing, um, I think we're here for three days. Uh, We're playing at the refectory this coming Tuesday, and then we're doing two nights at Natalie's Coal Fired Pizza on Wednesday and Thursday, and those two nights are going to be recorded, um, and we'll eventually be putting that out as a live album at some point next year. And I'm in the midst of all those shows. I think we're doing about two or three clinics here in town. Um, One of those is actually through the Jazz Arts Group, so really excited about that. But um, yeah, this is kind of the beginning of a two-week Midwest run for this band, so we're going to be hitting... Uh, here in Columbus, um, Akron, Cincinnati, Chicago, Madison, Wisconsin, Columbia, Missouri, St. Louis, Missouri, uh, Louisville, Kentucky. I think those are all of them. And kind of the same deal where we're going to be doing a lot of shows in those cities, but also doing a lot of educational stuff at high schools and colleges in the areas. Um, But that's with Hunter Tones. And then I guess just recently life has been pretty busy for me, Um, just touring with a lot of different bands. I I just came off the road. Um, after doing six weeks with the rock band OAR, and I'm, I've been out with them for the past five summers now, but um, that was really fun, you know, just bouncing around the country, playing shows, a lot of people, really fun guys, and um, yeah, kind of, it's been a busy fall, and excited to kind of dive right back into the music. And I know that there's a ton of little pieces and parts to your career, and then, you know, obviously the group, uh, the Hunter Tones, and then Dan White and Chris Ott, uh, who you went to OSU with. Um, you've all made the trip from Columbus to New York in the last year. Um, let's start with, with Ohio State, though. So you guys were college students at Ohio State. You were there the same time I was at Capitol. So mm-hmm. I remember you guys. I played a lot with Dan and some intercollegiate stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, I know that you guys were in the jazz band there and did a bunch of things. You were in the marching band. So just tell us a little, a little bit about the, the OSU connection that kind of got this whole thing together. Right. So, so me, Dan, and Chris, as you said, were all at Ohio State at the same time. Uh, Chris got there first, Dan a year later, and then I got there a year afterwards. And I actually, I met Dan before, um, I actually wasn't a music major my first year, I was studying psychology in pre-med, and uh, Dan was an RA in my dorm, so that was my first relationship with him, was like seeing him, you know, like make pancakes for his residence and <laughs> making posters and stuff, but but I soon realized that he was like a really really good musician and um, you know I'd, I'd grown up playing music among a bunch of other stuff in high school but I'd, I'd always loved that so I was kind of drawn to him and then the next year when I actually switched to um, the jazz studies major I really latched on to, to Dan and Chris because they were kind of like the you know the top dog horn players and they were the guys that were trying to trying to do stuff you know Dan had like you know already tried to get well been successfully gotten grant money to do his own album and Chris was you know writing a lot of music and whatnot so I, I immediately latched on to them and 
we were um, initially making music in the Art Blakey combo, which was a group led by Kenyatta Beasley, who was all one of our favorite professors at Ohio State, incredible trumpet player, incredible producer, teacher, everything. But we, uh, once a week, we would get together and play through, you know, the music of Art Blakey, which is, you know, amazing music, fundamental, you know, really important to the history of, you know, the jazz tradition. And we kind of grew closer by learning that music together and kind of, you know, getting that sound. And then, and then kind of that group started to, to make music outside of that combo. You know, we, we would play some of the Art Blakey charts, but then like Dan would bring in a tune or Chris would bring in a tune or I would bring in a tune. And that was kind of where the band was born. And initially we were, we were called the Dan White Sextet, and we actually have three albums under that name. Um, and then, you know, while we were at school, we just continued to kind of book shows wherever we could, like Dick's Den in Columbus. We played there a lot. Eventually, we were able to play at Natalie's, and we did a bunch of stuff just around. We were playing in, like, you know, the dorms at college. And kind of over, over two or three years that we were, we were all at Ohio State, we built it. We built it into, you know, we built up a following with our band. So, you know, we were able to have some really nice turnouts at different venues in the, in the city. And then once I had graduated from Ohio State, we all decided that, you know, as, as amazing as the Columbus scene was, we wanted to, you know, take our band and, you know, our individual careers kind of to the next level. And we decided that New York would be the best place, you know, for us to do that. So about a year and a half ago, we all moved there together and um, kind of been grinding there ever since but that's kind of the Ohio State connection and how yeah. everything got started and the music that you guys play and write um, you've kind of gone a few different directions it's so it has so many different influences you know there's certainly a straight ahead jazz component but that's kind of uh, something that's underneath yeah. everything it's not overt we're just gonna you know bang lag a dang right. you know tunes all the time and, right. and the R. Blakey thing Interesting that you say that because there certainly are opportunities for swing, mm -hmm. straight ahead jazz. But there are so many other influences, you know, with Chris beatboxing, you playing the sousaphone, right. um, integrating OSU tunes. I know that, that that was something that you guys have done mm -hmm. uh, in addition to um, the album Play, right. which is children's songs. So to kind of talk about the, the musical influences, you know, maybe from certainly yourself, but kind of all three guys that have led to this eclectic thing. Absolutely. Um, and that's something we get from almost everybody that we play for. They're like, man, like, this sounds like so many things and I can't really put my finger on it, but I like it. And that's kind of what we're going for. But um, I think the big, the big thing is, is just, and I've actually been talking about this a lot. We've been doing some clinics. Uh, we were in upstate New York a couple of weeks ago. And, and um, basically, the, the sound of the band comes from, you know, what me... Dan and Chris have all kind of grown up listening to and and I feel like with this band especially you know we we write it's a horn-led band so we're thinking of like horn melodies with a rhythm section backing is kind of like the just the general sound but in terms of genre I think I come from a heavy gospel background so like a lot of what I was listening to growing up was you know church black church music or like R&B um but then, like, Dan, you know, was heavy into jazz, you know, from a very young age. So, like, a lot of his compositions kind of were coming from that angle. And then Chris, who we joke about, listened to everything in between. Mm -hmm. I mean, everything from, you know, the, the Brecker Brothers to, to 80s hair band music. <laughs> and, I mean, and when we started writing for this band, it was, it was almost a, we were, like, daring ourselves, like, all right, how many different 
types of those genres that we listen to and we feel that you know make up our musical voice can we put into this band while still kind of creating a sound you know you don't want it to be like you know I, I guess we, we wanted to have an identity as a band like when you hear hundred tones oh yeah that's them but we also didn't want you know to be inside of the box of just a swing band or just a funk band or just a gospel sounding band or a rock band so and I mean, it, it, it took some time really to, to figure out what that sound was going to be. And I think a big part of it, too, was just getting closer to the rhythm section guys in the band. Like um, Adam DeAcenis plays bass with us a lot. Jeff Bass plays bass with us a lot. Um, Josh Hill, who's actually still here in Columbus, plays guitar. And like getting used to what those guys you know, sound like and, and what their strengths are and, and what they're going to play like. And then, you know, starting to write for those guys along with, you know, trying to get our musical voices out there. So I think um, a big part of it is just, you know, me, Dan, and Chris coming from all of those different backgrounds and then meeting and then all studying, having this common thread of, you know, studying and appreciating jazz music and and wanting to, you know, stay true and, and I guess, what's the word, you know, respect that genre because that's kind of, you know, the tradition of where this is coming from, but also be able to express, you know, the R&B side or the soul side and and we find that that allows the band to reach more listeners you know we we're, we get respect from people who you know listen to jazz almost specifically but then again we're you know we'll have you know younger people or people that are into pop music or rock music be like oh yeah that was really cool it wasn't really like what I would normally listen to but I could catch hints of it in there you know so definitely and, and one of the things I love about you guys and, and all the time that I've hung out with you guys we've never had a direct conversation about this but as a as the younger generation of musician there's always sort of an educational hook there mm-hmm. because this music comes now from so many different angles and and like you said all three of you guys you know, I can speak for myself and that I came into this music through a ton of different angles, Blood, Sweat and Tears in Chicago and mm-hmm. then Sinatra and, 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 you know, 80s hair bands as well. You know, right. there's all kinds of, you know, and where I'm from, it's like rural Ohio where, you know, the Allman Brothers and Leonard Skinner were in there, whether you liked it or not. Exactly. And I happen to love those bands, too. But but, you know, you get to the place, I think, in our generation where it's like, what are we going to do to make our mark and also share it with others? Right. Um, and that's something that you guys do a lot, as you mentioned earlier. Um when you come and play, you're all, you've also sort of encapsulated your product in to, be, to be something that you can articulate to young people, right. whether it be instrumentalists, you know, and, and improving their craft or, you know, people that are interested in producing music technology or anything right. like that or whatever. Um, so talk a little bit about that and sort of is that a deliberate effort or is that something that just kind of came naturally through the process of creating the music? I think, I think it was definitely... It's almost a combination, you know, when we were in college, you know, we were just trying to write music that, you know, moved us, that moved other people, you know, we just wanted to play the music for people as a band. And, and um, actually, while, while we were still at Ohio State, we were given some opportunities at, as a band to do, you know, clinics for uh, middle schools or high schools in the Columbus area. And at first, we really had to, like, you know, think about like, all right, how do we want to present this? You know, like, because we were more thinking of it from a performance aspect. But then it's like, as a musician, you almost, it's, you know, it's almost implied, not implied, but like, you almost have a mission to pass on the knowledge of the music and the intention of the music to the younger generation. So with us in doing that, I think it almost becomes more 
of a not just you know notes and rhythms and like a teaching kids how to play music but like making these kids understand you know why we're making this music because you know when you walk into a, a clinic of 200 high schoolers you know some of them are band kids maybe five or six of them will go on to music school but right. you're just talking to a, a general assembly of students that some of them like music some of them play music but all of them are students and what we try to you know pound home is like you know what we do with music is applicable to you know any different sort of life skill so in that respect you know we we kind of found ways to talk about how it's like you know what do we do as a band we write music we set up logistics and touring we you know are having to deal with people all the time and these are all skills that are kind of used across the board so right. so in talking with with students at the middle school or especially the high school level you got kids that are getting ready for college you know we try to you know, play and entertain them and play music that they can enjoy that's, you know, relevant and influenced by things that they are potentially listening to, but also just trying to drive home the points of, like, you know, this music thing is, there's a lot that it, you know, uh, uh, there, there's a lot that goes into it that's not just playing or not just notes and rhythms, right. and, and that's the kind of stuff that kids can latch on to. And it's almost like an education before it's like a, a, a conduit between your high school education and whatever college education. And right. I think some students maybe feel like there's this fear of jumping into a music school because it's so, um, you know, standards driven. You have to be right. able to go and, and, and hit certain levels of achievement in all these areas, as right. we found out in, in school, that that can be overwhelming for people. But to be able to relate your music to them in this way on the way toward college right. might maybe clarify some people's decisions or right. make them feel more at, at peace like oh yeah I can handle all this exactly you know? and that's you know that's a big thing as well um, I think we're not you know when we walk into a high school it's like we're only you know six seven years older than those seniors so I think they immediately feel like they can relate more and then a big part of it is like you know focusing more on the actual music aspect of it a lot of the programs that we go into and just, you know, music programs in general in Ohio and elsewhere are, are you know, you, you get your marching band, you have your concert band, you have your jazz band. But it's basically, here's the sheet music, we're going to read it down, and that's going to be band. You know, mm -hmm. we're going to play, we're going to try to get the louds and softs better, but that's the, you know, that's the beef of your music education. Right. And we come in, and, you know, the three of us are out in front of the band, not looking at music stands, you know, playing off of each other, interacting with each other. And this is something that is almost like a foreign concept to a lot of young people because they're just not necessarily exposed to that. And and um, we find that it's like, it's almost this light that kids see where like, man, this can be like really, really fun. Those guys look like they're having so much fun. It's not just, you know, show up to band and try to play this piece the best that I can. It's like, you know, this is, we, we don't do this we, we do this for fun. You know, we do it because we love it. We want to, you know, portray a message to people. But we do this because we enjoy it. And, and it almost seems like in the music education process, that gets lost sometimes. Sure. And so when we go into a high school or a middle school, we try to make, you know, leave the kids with the impression of like, yes, you want to practice so you can play at a high level. But the whole point of that is so that you can enjoy playing this music in, in, you know, in a social setting, in a concert setting, and, and I think um, that that message comes off pretty well. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, um, and sort of another, uh, kind of I want to get to the New York 
trip, and I think it ties to this because you have students that, especially in our generation, whether you're a musician or whether you are a marketing person or, or whatever your degree says, the new sort of way of thinking is I can land anywhere and work there for X amount of time and then pick up and go somewhere else. You know, we're past the point of like the put in 30 years, get your pension and, and call it call it a career type right. of thing. So people are more mobile, I, I, I feel. So talk just a little bit about the decision to move to New York um, and what was something, one or two things or however many things about that that was terrifying mm-hmm. uh, to do? And then on the flip side, at the end, once you got through it, you know, what are you seeing coming out the end of the tunnel a year and a half later right. that makes it all worthwhile? Right. Man, that is a that is a loaded question. There's <laughs> a lot in there. Yeah. So, I mean, moving the decision to move to New York, I think, was was something that, you know, me, Dan and Chris all talked about. And um, I guess when we initially talked about it, it was like we as a band in Columbus were, you know, you know, we could we could play at Natalie's or we play at Dick Stan or we were and and sell a lot of tickets. We were we were doing a lot of educational things, which was great. And, you know, we were starting to kind of have this Columbus, Cincinnati, Akron circuit, which was working out really well for us. But eventually, I guess you we were starting to run into a wall of like, okay, how far how far do we want to take this music and, and how far can we do that? by just staying here in Columbus and trying to to build it up. And that's not a discredit to the Columbus scene at all. I mean they're, you know, we the band is the reason is the band that we are today because of, you know, other musicians, teachers and educators that all influenced us and impacted us while we were here in Columbus, but I think we wanted, you know, we were thinking we would we want to play this music for people all over the country and eventually all over the world. That's kind of the um, that that was kind of our our ambition, and so, you know, I guess in the music world, when you want to be, you know, touring or you know, performing a performance-based musician, there are three places that people are heading nowadays: Los Angeles, Nashville, and New York City, mm-hmm. because that's kind of where, you know, a lot of a lot of touring musicians are based out of where you know a lot of networks exist that you kind of you know meet different people that are touring with this band and touring with that band and you know you you fall into those networks and you end up working a lot so so we wanted to kind of be on the scene where we knew the mo- or we already had a pre-existing network and we wanted to be on a scene that we feel like you know our the sound of our band would be something that could flourish and it wouldn't necessarily seem out of place so right. You know, I think New York was was the was the the obvious deci- decision after we kind of went through all of those things. And I mean, right off the back, it was you know pretty scary in that we uh, we had a very short weekend tour of shows there. It was like a Friday Saturday where we were playing in Harlem, and during those two days, like all day we were apartment hunting and just like not knowing you know really anything about these areas and having you know one friend would be like oh yeah you know it's cool it's cheaper it's a good area and then another friend would be like no don't live there (laughs) and you're just like well uh, I don't know so that was kind of like an adventure in itself just finding a spot that was you know affordable close enough to what we wanted to be close to and you know like once you find the spot it's like if you don't close tomorrow somebody else is going to buy it right so i mean just the whole like the apartment search was just crazy and like really kind of an intimidating like beginning but um 
I'd say, you know, once we found a place and moved in, you know, after a month or so, you start to understand, like, what the routine is and you start to get comfortable. I mean, as comfortable as you can in that amount of time. Right. But, um, but yeah, that was a real whirlwind. And then just, it's such a big scene. And, I mean, once you get there and start to create your own networks, you realize that it's a smaller world than you think it is. But when you show up in New York and you're just like, all right, who do I talk to or where, what jam session do I go to or what, you know, venue do I go to to try to, you know, just initially dive into this scene. I mean, that in itself is, is really, really crazy. And we were fortunate enough to have some friends who had some friends that played music in, you know, uh, or were involved in education with, say, like Jazz at Lincoln Center. You right. know, Todd Stoll, who is from Columbus, who works in the education department there. You know, he, um, we, we met with him, and he talked to us about different things in the city. And then, um, actually, um, Jared Mahone, who was a Columbus artist, had a show at Rockwood Music Hall, and it was like the day after we moved there, and he, wanted, he had us play horns with him. And on that show, we met, like, a ton of other musicians that were kind of just like New York session musician or touring musicians. And, you know, we met somebody who books at Rockwood and like that kind of turned into a huge step onto that scene, which now a year and a half later, we play there regularly. We, you know, we've like made different connections through the musicians that we met through him. And that's kind of been the story of our New York existence is just like, you know, you get there and it's this big intimidating world, but we were fortunate enough to have a couple of people there that introduced us to a couple more people and then you know people hear you play they hear the band and it kind of grows from there into this you know network of now a year and a half later you know there are bands that have been on the scene for years in new york if you mention hunter tones they're like oh yeah you know i've, I've heard of those guys or so yeah you know it, it goes from something that can be that is very intimidating to something that is almost like you know just a really really big musical family and how much of that because I can imagine that there's probably this feeling when you get there of like, okay, now I'm just going to sit here in the scene and hope that something happens. Right. You know, that just because of the enormity right. of that situation where it's like, okay, here I'm in New York. There's a lot of people, that, mm -hmm. so there's a good chance that I'm going to start getting calls. But it sounds like from what you're saying, you've got to pound the pavement and oh, you've yeah. got to make yourself uncomfortable in certain positions, right. whether it be living or, you know, the networking thing, oh, yeah. to kind of, like, be proactive. You can't just wait around right. and, and hope that somebody's going to knock on your door. Absolutely. And that's, and I mean, that's one of the big things that we, you know, learned very quickly. I mean, I, I think we went into it, you know, thinking that we wanted to do that. You know, it's like, all right, we need to be out here trying to meet people, right. trying to figure out who's doing what, you know, hear different musicians, have musicians hear us, make these relationships. And one of the big things that was actually really interesting is like the typical like thing of like jazz music or jazz schools is like, all right, you're gonna move to New York, you're gonna go to every jam session and that's how you're gonna get gigs. And you learn that, like, you go to jam sessions and there's a million college students, a million fresh to New York guys that are playing all the changes, all the notes, all the stuff. And it's like, you know, very little actual gigs, at least, you know, in our experience, came from going to these sessions and, like, trying to play to impress somebody. I mean, it's totally about the relationships you know it was about seeking out the musicians who were doing what we wanted to do and not just you know 
trying to impress him playing wise, but just like to be like, hey, I really respect you as a musician. I'd love to pick your brain or I'd love to be around you. And then just through that relationship, eventually those people will hear you play and either they're going to be into it or they're not going to be into it. And, you know, fortunately, some of those people for us were into the band and into our musicianship. And once people respect that, you know, you kind of skip this step of like trying to get noticed at a session. And, you know, you have somebody who's already in the scene saying, hey, you know, um, I, I got this tuba player who just moved to New York, but he's killing. You guys should check him out versus, right. you know, trying to just have somebody notice you out of out of nowhere. Actually, um, I toured for about eight or nine months with a band called Red Barat, which is like a um, really interesting Bangra funk go-go band that's been on the scene for a while and just tours nationally, internationally. And that, you know, that came about for me solely from a relationship. You know, somebody who knew the leader of that band, Sonny, was like, you know, oh, you need a tuba player, check this guy out. You know, he called me up, went to a rehearsal, and I ended up touring with those guys for about nine months. And that's kind of just how, you know, the scene works up there, I guess. And, and another great example, and, and this one is extremely exciting, is, is playing with John Baptista's band. Mm-hmm. And one of the things about that, obviously, is that he's leading the um, Tonight Show it would be the Tonight Show, right? Mm, or the Late Show. The Late Show. There right. we go. With Stephen Colbert. Yes. And which is a really exciting thing because he's taking over for Letterman, and mm. this is such a great band. He's from New Orleans. Right. And you actually were just on that show, mm-hmm. and you said you did a, a little run with the band. Yeah. And it came about this exact way that you're saying. It wasn't an audition where you stood in front of somebody in a cold room or, right. or got up on stage for two seconds to play your solo and get off stage. It was more of a right. organic networking thing. Talk to us about that one. Absolutely. So um, the beginning of getting to play with, with John Batiste and Stay Human, which is the name of, of the band, um, was actually through through another relationship with a drummer in New York named Sammy Miller, who has a band called Sammy Miller and the Congregation. And I play, t- I play sousaphone with that band. Um, trumpet sometimes when the trumpet player can't make it. But, I mean, and that band is essentially just, you know, we play the music of Duke Ellington. We play some original music that's kind of in that style, but with a little modern twist. And it's just, you know, the, the whole theme of the band is joyful jazz. It's, it's a party with guys who are having a blast but are also just playing their tails off the entire time. So, um, and it, the band is made up of Sammy and, and a lot of other students that uh, are not, or I guess musicians who were students at Juilliard or NYU and had kind of been in the New York scene for a little while. And um, so I started playing with them a couple of months after moving to New York. And um, we, we would play the late night session at a club called Dizzy's, which is um, essentially Jazz and Lincoln Center's jazz club which is you know, right at Columbus Circle. And um, so every other month or so, we would have a week of shows um, that would be like an 11 o'clock to 1 o'clock set. And super fun. And one of the weekend sets, um, I was playing tuba, and I think it was uh, I was switching back and forth on the gig between tuba and trumpet in this particular instance. And um, John Batiste was, was in, in the crowd. And I actually wasn't that familiar with his music, I just, you know, they were like, oh, yeah, you know, John Batiste, that's John Batiste. And I was like, oh, man, I think I've heard of him. And then he, he ended up sitting in at some point and just, like, blowing. I, I'm, <laughs> my mind was blown. I was like, oh, my God, who is this guy? And so, I, you know, I looked more into his music and just, like, you know, the New Orleans, you know, from New Orleans and, you know, studied at Juilliard and just the, the, his approach to music is incredible. You know, he's this incredible pianist influenced by jazz music, pop music, classical music, and he can play any of that. And in the music that he writes, 
you hear all of that influence, which is beautiful. But um, so he was there that night uh, that I was playing with Sammy, and a couple of days later, I um, I got a, a call or a text from you know his management saying, hey, uh, you know John heard you play and would love for you to fill some dates with him in the future. And I was like, whoa. And at this point, it's like his touring band. Um, just down to right. Play so out. this was so his band is called Stay Human, and this right. was just with him and his and just his touring whatever band. Whatever gigs were on the calendar, right? Right. And, and so there was, I think, the first one was in New Jersey, and I actually I was already booked, so I couldn't play that one. But I got a call a couple of weeks later to do um, a gig with that with that band, Stay Human. Um, he had a week long residency um, in New York City, and it was kind of like every night was a different had different guests, a different, you know, different theme, a different setting. And I was, um, my first two gigs with John were two of those nights. And it was just, it was an amazing experience. I got to play with some incredible musicians. Um, you know, all the guys in Stay Human, John Batiste, uh, an amazing saxophonist, Grace Kelly, Jeff Coffin, um, Marcus Printup, trumpet player, and just all these ridiculous musicians. And it went really, really well. It was super fun. And then a couple of weeks later, um, he asked me to play Newport Jazz Festival with him, which was another incredible experience, you know, getting to pl- play one of the most notable, you know, American jazz festivals, getting to see, you know, just all these jazz legends just walking around, hanging out. That was super cool. And then, um, you know, after that, I was like, man, what an amazing experience. That was fun. And there had been talk of him taking over the late night show. And so, you know, that was just kind of in the back of my mind is like, man, it was really cool to get to play with him. And then a couple, about a, a month later, while I was out on the road with OAR, I got a call from uh, uh, the guy who produces the, the band on the show. And he was saying, hey, so uh, John would love to have you out on the Late Show in the fall to join the band uh, for a couple of weeks. And I was like, whoa, because it's the kind of thing that, you know. When I was moving to New York, it wasn't like, I want to be the trumpet player who gets to play on The Late Show. Right. It was like, you know, I want to play music. I want to play fun music that I love, people that I like, and I'd like to you know, be able to make a, a living out of it. And just through, you know, one relationship, you know, this kind of snowball of events that led to me getting to, to play on the show with the guys um, earlier this week. And then I'll be back for another three weeks a little later in the fall. But um yeah, it's just it's just like one of those things where I can't. It, it's hard to you know you can't pre- teach that, or it's not something that I can say like you know if you go to New York and do these things, this will happen. It's just kind of like always being willing to you know play, or always being willing to make relationships, and then when you have the chance to play. You know, being sure that you're you've practiced and you're prepared so that you know you can execute the music, but also you know with like not just executing the music, but being able to move people with that music in right. your performance. Yep. And so that performance, I just watched a YouTube clip playing with Ed Sheeran. Yeah, that was super and fun. playing a Bill Withers tune, mm-hmm. "Ain't No Sunshine," and then Bill Withers was on the show that night. Yeah. So was he in the audience when you played it? Did he did he hear you guys play? Or? So um, I think he had gone backstage at that yeah. point, but but he was around. Um, yeah, it was really cool. Um, he Stephen interviewed Ed Sheeran and Bill Withers at the same time, right. and and kind of I guess they both had like a stutter when they were younger, and he kind of right. brought that up and whatnot. But um, that w- that was really really cool to get to play with with Ed and to get to play that song with Bill Withers being there. I mean, you know, Bill Withers is somebody that when I was younger, Dad always had. You know, ain't no sunshine or lovely day or right. use me that always on the radio, and to get to play that song, you know, with Ed Sheeran, who's kind of like modern day, you know, 
superstar or whatever. Right. It was it was really cool, you know. And the lineage of the of the the Late Show, you know, with Stephen Colbert taking over for Letterman, Letterman right. who could have been Johnny Carson had it not been Leno. So the, all this there's such a tradition of music coming through that format, right? That must be really cool to be a part of. Yeah, it's it's I mean it, it's really cool to kind of like you said be a part of that and to just see how it all works and to like you know I, I know. Um, the the John and the guys you know are kind of taking over from like Paul Schaefer who was right. the guy who did it before and it's like Paul created such a thing that it was like he was an icon right. you know just as as you know Dave Letterman was an icon for you know hosting the show and doing the interviews Paul Schaefer was like iconic in the in what he created in his personality and and to see John stepping into that role as band leader for this you know show and to see Steven really they're both kind of doing the same thing where they're making it their own and you know creating a new iconic you know late night tv tradition and to like get to experience that first hand and to kind of get to play with the band and to get to see John kind of you know writing this new music for you know the walk-ons and the walk-offs and writing this new theme song and getting to play that stuff it's it's kind of surreal to get to be to be a part of that and to to you know see how it all works definitely so give us uh, the give us the best vision you've got for the next six months of, of John Lampley and Hunter Tones and New York City and everything going on. Man, so the next six months, I'm actually really really excited. Um, I was I had three days where I was off in a wedding, and that was about the last three days that I'm going to have off for probably the next six months. That's about. <laughs> um, Hunter Tones is busy with this fall tour, and then I'm actually going to be joining. Another incredible singer-songwriter that I tour with uh, named Alan Stone. Mm-hmm. I'll be touring with him uh, kind of through the East Coast, Midwest, West Coast for... And he uh, just had a new album. Yeah, his new yeah. album, Radius, came out uh, earlier earlier this year. And um, actually, he was opening up for OAR, so I was playing with him a little bit, as well as the OAR stuff. And um, so I'll be out on the road with him. I'll be back on the Colbert Show for about three weeks in the fall um, and a little bit in December. Um, Hunter Tones will be also doing some work in December. So basically bouncing back and forth between Alan, Hunter Tones, and the show for the next couple of months. And then um, we, Hunter Tones is actually has an incredible opportunity through uh, the U.S. State Department and a program called American Music Abroad that we applied for and auditioned for, and we're very fortunate to be selected through that program to um, take part in a month-long tour and we're actually going to be going to Africa for a month and spending a week in four different countries and um, playing music and doing clinics for people there. And, I mean, we're all super, super excited about that because, you know, it's one thing to get to play music and tour here in, a, in the country, but to get to share that music with, you know, a whole different nation, you know, it's almost like, be, you know, we're considered cultural ambassadors. So that's, that's going to be a new challenge for us, but we're, you know, extremely excited to take it on, and, and I think it's going to be a life-changing experience for all of us. But, I mean, I guess that, that about sums it up. Uh, you know, making music, traveling, trying to remember what day it is. <laughs> but, um, you know, very fortunate and very, very blessed to, to get to do so. Well, and we're very fortunate to have you here with us in Columbus for a few days and here at the, at the Jazz Academy recording this with us. Um, best of luck to you going from dotting the eye with the OSU marching <laughs> band all the way to standing on stage with the Colbert Show. I oh, appreciate it, It's Zach. great to have you a part of this whole thing, and we look forward to hearing what you're into as we go. Oh, thanks for having me, Zach. Thanks, Sean. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The Jazz Scene. We want to hear your feedback. Visit our podcast website, jazzarchgroup.org slash thejazzscene, and leave us your comments, questions, or suggestions. 
A big thank you to the Fort Hayes Career Center and Ryan Van Bibber for lending us our talented audio engineer, Jesus Hernandez. Our theme music is by Michael Cox. Our producer is Vanessa Gabriel. And funding for this podcast is provided by the Jazz Arch Group of Columbus. I'm Zach Constant, and we hope you catch our next episode of The Jazz Scene.